Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. Okay, everybody. Once again, here we are, West Point, Mississippi, home of Mossy Oak. Toxie, you look like you're feeling better. Well, that's yeah. That's not saying much, but yeah, <laughs> you, you sound recovered. like you've had a rough time of it. Correct. Yep. yep. Well, I've recovered from getting hit with a Mack truck, but still not rain. So yep. I'm it's, okay. It's so, so dry. Okay. It's it so dry. Yeah, my allergies are key. They're, 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 yeah, that, that made it double everybody, worse. Everybody yep. is, I believe. Yep, yep. Mm. So, Lanny, you look good, but have you gotten all your planting done? No, no, still planting. Yeah. But we're making good progress. He's living in la-la land planting right now. Yeah. Dudley, it's, you it's are. It's not going to happen this year, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm, I'm um, but, I mean, too. we can't not put the seed in the ground, can we not? That's what I would say if I was in charge of selling seeds somewhere. That's true. That's right, Mac. You got to plant. <laughs> and replant. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Dudley, you, did you go to the Taylor Swift concert? Where, yeah, where you were was you at some recently? show this weekend, weren't you? No. Um, I was I was at the Shin Gear Festival. How was that? Film festival. It was awesome. I um, heard it was. It yeah. was like an inaugural year for it. Uh, the setting was incredible. It's at, uh, near the Memphis Botanic Garden. Uh, there's like savanna looking oaks everywhere. Oh, wow. Uh, just a really cool setting. Uh, they, they had those Brio fire pits for everybody. People were all sitting around that in the chairs, watching the videos and the, 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 the films were actually like conservation based. It hey. wasn't just like duck hunting films. Um, one of them actually drew a couple of tears and a couple of them drew some goosebumps and. Wow. One of them, I stood up and yelled, amen, with a bunch of people. I mean, that's how good it was. Oh, you, that's awesome. Had you been imbibing at all? I mean, not any more than anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd yeah. like to see them stand up uh, and yell, amen. Filet, <laughs> I mean, they had filet, smoked salmon for dinner. I mean, it was it was insanely good. Oh, I, good. I really enjoyed it. First good. class event, sounds like. Mac, how are you doing? Doing pretty good, Bob. How about you? Do we have any seed left? Uh, a little bit of clover. Uh, but we've, we've been pretty much wrapped up. I mean, I'm just dancing. I'll take off. it. I'll take it. We sure need some rain. And most of the Deep South needs that. Uh, we, we've got two guests. We've got Dr. Marcus Lashley. Hit the horns. There you go. And we've got Dr. Will Goolsby. And I bet you guys are hearing people fuss about Is everybody whining like we are? It's depression is actually what it is. Clinical depression. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they're doing that around here too. I mean, we've had I think two good rain events in Auburn 
since mm. uh beginning of September. Mm. But luckily one of those was within two days of us planting our food plots on our club. So ah. we, we got lucky. You did. Good um, for you. Okay. I'll, okay. I'll t- I'm not talking to him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but minute. you know, their, their blanket answer, you know, being uh PhDs that they are is, you know, if you've done your job on all of your habitat, you know, those food plots are gravy, you know, your, your deer. Yeah. Have lots of food out there if you've been doing your burns. And, I beg to differ. And doing your disturbances and all that good stuff. <laughs> when you see 80-year-old trees with huge root systems dying from drought, the early successional habitat is in serious trouble. I mean, it's just like I mean, uh, honeysuckle or it's just crinkled brown like you round up everything. Mm. It's terrible. It is. Will, you're closer to us and. Are you seeing these? Are you riding down the road and seeing big trees just look like they're dying? No, it's not that bad here. We've been fortunate with getting a little bit better, wetter uh, weather pattern than y'all have. But uh, apparently, it's getting more and more severe the further you go west. I was talking to a buddy in uh, Louisiana a few days ago, and he's wondering if he's even going to duck hunt on his club this year because they just they don't have any water for ducks. Right, we're the same way. Yeah, Yeah. got some good crops. Dudley, have you been new place lately? I have not. Because the drought monitor said it's worse, like he said, like Jackson, north of Jackson, over in Louisiana, that it's even worse than here. Oh, oh yeah, it's, it's rough. Ooh, it's rough so. stuff. What about you down to where you are, Marcus? Yeah, it's it's not nearly as bad here. And I've, I've been hearing the same trend you guys are talking about. In fact, uh, one of the, the folks I work with quite a bit is over in West Mississippi and has been under a burn ban for mm-hmm. a while, and it's, it's tearing him up. Not being able to yeah. get any burning done. Yeah, we're in a um, burn band. I've got I've got a buddy that's got a cabin on the Little Red River in the Ozarks, and they have quit letting water through the dam. That's how low it is, yeah. and, and nor, you know that's what keeps that cool water and that moving water for all of those trout. And Ooh. you mm. can literally walk across the Little Red in places right now. So. Wow. wow. Lots of craziness yeah, going on. Deer have destroyed everything. Never have had that happen. Y'all know where I live. And there's deer around there, some, but they've never been on the patio eating the plants and yeah. the pots on the patio and stuff. You can tell they're really hurting. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's keep this thing moving. We always do Blood on the Biologic, brought oh, yeah. to you by LS Tractor. The new camo it is, here. is here. It looks awesome, too. Guys, have y'all heard about this at all? Y'all, y'all are probably down there in your own little world, but LS Tractors, who's one of our sponsors, is doing a bottomland 57-horsepower uh, little tractor. It is the neatest-looking great, great size food plot and tractor. It is a stout, uh, good-looking tractor. And, you know, everything's better than bottomland. So yeah, to get is. a chance, go, you can go to LSTractorUSA.com LS and you can check it out. So. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, and. One little thing I've noticed about it is it's in a small package, so you could you know pull it behind your gas burner truck. It it almost looks more like a tractor that the horsepower would be in the high thirties, but they've managed to fit fifty seven horses under oh, yeah. the hood of that of that little tractor, <laughs> and it is it's beefy. Yeah, and the the, the axles, the tires, everything's are, are real are, are real heavy and and heavy duty. So it's going to be a great food plot and tractor for sure. Yeah, so they're making a hundred of them, guys. So it's a limited edition, and then hopefully there'll be another hundred after the mm-hmm. first of the, around the first of the year. So y'all check that out. And uh, who's 
Who's seeing any kid? What's going on, Mac? Yeah, so I've got a blood on the biologic. Uh, a guy that I've talked to some, Mr. John Ramsey, his son, John Woodside Ramsey, in Macon County, Alabama, killed a really good deer uh, in some endurance radish. Oh, wow. Look at that. Is that the picture of it? That's yeah. it. Got on bottom land. Look at there. That's not far from Will either. That's, that's No, that's about 30, 40 minutes down the road. Yeah, that's a great deer. That's so, a great picture. Yeah. Congrats and to them. Since they bought that farm, uh, they've been watching this deer. It was the first deer they had on camera on this place. And they could tell by the, you, the listeners can't see, but there's a cut in his right ear. Mm-hmm. And so they've been able mm-hmm. to watch this deer. And it's his biggest bow deer to date. Well, good for him. That's awesome. That's a heck of a deer. Yeah, it is. So, Sim Copeland Hmm. is over there in Georgia. You might know Caleb Copeland. Oh, yeah. He's got a seven-year-old son killed an an eight-point buck. Nice. First deer. So, he's awful, all excited about it. Caleb's an outstanding videographer. He is. He knows his stuff. Yeah, Well, youth season opens here, what, Pretty cl- pretty soon. Not this Saturday, but next Saturday. Yeah. So. Now, Will, I remember seeing you sent me a picture of of maybe a your you and your family y'all killed some deer last year. It was kind we of did. T- toward the end of the season there. But are are, are, yeah. are your are your kids excited about going back out this year? Oh, absolutely. We're in a new club. Uh, got a, got one a little bit closer to the house this year, so I'm hoping to get them out there a little bit more. And uh, the old one was about an hour away. So an hour each way with two little ones is kind of tough. Yeah, it is. But um, my daughter is eight and I'm thinking about trying to get her on her first deer this year. We'll see if she's she's ready or not. Uh, but my son's only three. But, you know, I wanted to send you that picture last year because he was only two years old sitting in the blind with me and we killed that doe. So he was there for his first doe deer harvest period at two years old i thought that was pretty cool that's really cool that's how you get them started that's how you raise them up right yeah. right there that's right yeah, absolutely <laughs> well marcus you got uh what's going on with your family real quick and we'll get started on this yeah so i i have two young girls both of them are not ready yet for uh pulling the trigger but i have been working on uh some food plots in alabama on our family land i was going to tell you earlier uh, we did get some rain on those as well, and they're coming up and looking good. So uh, my oldest I'm planning to take here in just a couple of weeks uh, to sit in a house, and maybe we'll be lucky enough to have that be her first harvest mm-hmm. or at least be present for the first harvest. Yeah, so. keep, us, keep us posted on that. Take some pictures. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. Well, so look, guys, we're kind of referring to this time frame we're in. We love October, but I'm going to call it October. Oh, oh October. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. He couldn't wait that, to drop that. That one was pretty good, I have to say. Yeah. So, we love, guys, we love oak trees. We, yes. we really do. And when you think about You'd it. You'd think we would. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, I'm looking at the two doctors on the television here. When you think about oak trees, is there anything else that gives more nourishment and sustenance to our wildlife than just in a big category than oak trees. It, uh, Will, am I, what, what is am I missing something? No, I don't think so. I mean, it, it's hard to uh, oversell the value of oaks to wildlife. And, um, you know, it's just you think about leaves changing colors and acorns dropping. And, you know, that's my favorite time of the year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know when the turkeys are gobbling. It's hard to think that way. But I, <laughs> I love this time of year, too. Fair. And. They oaks have been characterized as a keystone species, so you know an umbrella that broadly affects 
you know, a, a tremendous number of wildlife species. So no doubt uh, over a broad landscape globally, not just even in, in the eastern United States, a uh, pretty important group of, of uh, plants for wildlife. Your daughter's been begging you to hunt since her little brother shot the big eight last year. You've ran a fire, dissed the fields, got stuck, got unstuck, planted food plots, fertilized, and prayed for rain. You moved trees, limbed roads, even bought one of those fancy cell cameras. So what's your excuse? LS Tractor. Moultrie has pioneered the game management category. Today, Moultrie is one of the best-selling brands of feeders and seeders in the world, and they continue to innovate with new technology that gamekeepers will rely on. Moultrie products are always field-tested and designed for hunters by hunters, combining forward-thinking innovation with time-tested practicality. Moultrie, first in feeders since 1979. All right, so guys, Moultrie is offering our listeners a 15% site-wide discount at MoultriefEeders.com. Use code MOSSYOAK with a capital M, MOSSYOAK, at MoultrieFeeders.com and get that 15% discount. So, guys, um, you know, I'm seeing that y'all have done some studies that have some really interesting data, and you've probably talked about this a bunch, but we wanted to be able to listen to you explain it and ask you some questions. And uh, where's the best place to start here, Marcus? I've been involved in several studies over the, the well, really the past 17 or 18 years now. Uh, one of those studies just was recently published, and we had 10 years of of data on, on white oaks. And I think it has some really interesting uh, things that we can learn about, not not just the importance of oaks and their character in terms of how they mask, but also some in, important implications for how we might manage mass production in oaks as well. And I have another study that's ongoing that's a follow-up to that where we've expanded uh, and ho- hopefully for long-term uh, it's planned to be a long-term experiment. We're in year three now where we've added laurel oak and swamp chestnut oak mm. and water oak oh, to cool. the mix, which are, you know, uh, n- we really don't have that much data uh, on masting and wildlife use of those species relative to, you know, white oak and variety <laughs> of the red oak species. Mm-hmm. Well, that'll be cool. Adding some reds to yeah. the mix for sure. Yeah, and I know... Uh, and Will uh, has some really interesting data that fits in with that as well from some of your recent research on management. Yeah, we haven't, in my lab, we haven't studied um, actual masting as much, but we've looked at some other things that you can do under those, you know, masting tr- species like oaks. Um, so that those areas, and I'm sure this is something y'all want to get into eventually today, but you can make your hardwood stands a multi-purpose stand that can receive use by wildlife and support wildlife, you know, including deer and turkeys year round, instead of just making it a fall and winter thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to, I want to learn more about that for sure. D- Dudley, this is your center of your wheelhouse. I'm going to let you kind of take over the questions okay. and, and go. Yeah. Um, and, and this is just, you know, off the top of my head, I hadn't really had a chance to prepare, but, 
thankfully, uh, this is my favorite subject on the planet. So I, I think <laughs> I'm going to be okay. I remember, uh, you know, Harper, I would go to, you know, like a, a QDMA uh, convention years ago, and I, I watched Dr. Harper present on this, and mm-hmm. it just blew my mind. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just refused to believe it, you know, that fertilizing an oak tree doesn't help it produce more. And, uh, but then I was, I would sit there and read the article and trying to find holes in the literature and all of that. And I was like, certainly they're missing something. Um, and then, you know, literally really after several years, I I just kind of gave up on it and accepted it. Um, after sitting there and thinking about it. Um, and so I, I guess this isn't much of a question. Uh, it's, it's kind of a theory that I've come up with and maybe you guys can help me, but, uh, it seems like these white oaks that you guys have been studying and, and taking all these uh, measurements on, um, you know, you, you've stated that some of these trees, some of these individuals are very heavy producers. Mm-hmm. Some of those trees are not heavy producers, and then some of them hardly produce at all. Um, and okay. so my theory with that is, like, if you were to take all of those heavy producers – and like clone them or something and move them into another study area. Um, Mm -hmm. And you were, and you were to fertilize those and have other areas that you did not fertilize. uh, You probably would see a significant difference in the amount of acorns that they produce. Um, Being that oaks are wild and they are extremely variable, um, in how they produce acorns, I feel like that may have skewed the results a little bit. It's just like, you know, pecans, you can fertilize those and they'll produce more corn. You mm-hmm. can fertilize that and they'll produce more, but they are all crops that have been improved. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of unimproved crops that have extremely variable production from individual to individual, I can totally see how that would skew the results like that to where you know if you're fertilizing a tree that's not going to make acorns anyway uh, that's going to just totally blow the results to where when you look at it on a population level it's not going to produce more so i know that was an earful and it wasn't even really a question (laughs) but but what are your thoughts on that if you were to move all your better trees out into a new study area and fertilize those versus not fertilizing the others. Uh, what do y'all think would be the results? Yeah, I I have some thoughts about that. Uh, I've I've been yeah. thinking about this for a long time uh, since I was a kid, even, and I I was lucky enough to be uh, to help start that project with with Dr. Harper years ago as part of my master's project. And I would continued it on. And that was the, the 10 year data set. And I, I was pretty surprised with the results, but uh, what we did in that study, we tracked individual oaks, white oaks, all white oaks for five years, and then used all of the masting data from individuals to classify them into four groups. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, uh, I think uh, 11, 11% of them were excellent producers, and that means that they were producing more than double what the mean of the population was. So they're, they're double 
at least double. Some of them are far more than double uh, the average production of an oak. And then we uh, we had three other groups, but the other really important one was the poor producers, which is almost half of the oaks. And a poor producer just means that they produce far less than the average tree. And some of them, like you said, I mean, even in the study, we couldn't even demonstrate they produced an acorn. Hmm. So uh, we we used the first five years of data to separate all the oaks out, trying to get at what you're saying. Okay. You know, maybe there's something inherent to the the genetics of the individual and that potential. And I kind of expected exactly what you said. If we fertilize the the good producers and or, or the excellent ones, but particularly the good producers, I thought we're probably going to see a big bump. And a poor producer just is a poor producer, and we're not going to see much from that. Uh, but that's not that's not what the data showed once we got done. And, and uh, by the way, we so what we did in that study, we separated them into those groups, and we had two treatments that we implemented to half of them. So we had uh, we had our control trees. We just continued in, in each of the classes, the production classes. We continued to monitor for an additional five years, and then we had uh, a distribution of trees across those classes that we fertilized according to fertilized and limed according to soil test, and uh, every year. And we also had uh, oaks that we just did a canopy release. And basically all we did was kill any tree that was interacting with its canopy Mm -hmm. so that it could have room to expand. And uh, we also had those two treatments combined. The thought being, you know, if we give them enough room and sunlight, maybe then they can respond to fertilization. And, uh, you know, overall, we, we did not pick up any effect of the, the fertilization across the classes. Wow. Uh, but with the canopy release, there was a 65% increase uh, in, in production of those individuals. Hmm. And it also did not matter what class they were in. It was 65% on average across trees. So it, it honestly really challenged me because that's not what I expected to happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, and obviously when you release them, you're given more, sunlight space more root space that that's just obvious i mean that would be like turning it into a makes perfect sense turning it in turning it into a plantation of pecan trees is kind of the way i think of it you're you're giving them all the room they need but i'm just trying to think what other plants out there that if you were to plant them agricultural style fertile fertilization would not help them produce more i mean i've tried to rack my brain for other right. and and you've probably looked that up to prove me wrong. Well, again, I've, but, uh, I've definitely I've definitely tried to find it. Uh, so there there's a couple of ideas floating around, and and uh, one of the next paths that we may take with it is that the timing might matter. You know, uh, the timing of fertilization and how it influences flowering. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could matter, or it may be that. Even in th- these these oaks were in a in a particularly poor area, so I thought that we'd see a magnified response. But they may still not be very limited in terms of nutrients that that we're applying with fertilizer. That makes so sense. that's another. Yeah. So there's alternative. You know, there's there's several 
alternative hypotheses that that I think could be tested, but it didn't seem like the oaks were allocating the additional nutrients to acorn production in in our study. So I, I I think there's still room to go further with that and and look at different things. But I honestly don't have a good answer for you why it didn't show the same thing that we would see in other species because the the study design, especially from a, a wildlife uh, research standpoint, sure. is really strong. But the so, I think the take home from this is, you know, after reading this, who in their right mind would take the time and spend the money to go fertilize a bunch of oak right. trees in the woods when you can just go release them? Yeah. Uh, so, but it but it still has you know it still yeah, has me question. scratching my head. So have you ever? Has anyone? I'm sure this has been done. So I'll ask it. Has not anyone studied preference? Because I know it's totally anecdotal. But people that have done this before, you know, they think it's producing more acres, but you know, without a controlled mm-hmm. research, they don't know that for sure. But they swear by the fact that deer seem to prefer them. Now that could just right. be anecdotal too. But I didn't know if you've. That- is there like a dry matter well, analysis done on before and after type of deal? That's a that's a fantastic question. And because everybody on the author line of this paper is a hunter, we, we immediately were thinking about that. And we did test the acorns to see if they changed in quality or size, uh, various different characteristics. And also we looked at basically wildlife and aggregate. In terms of how, you know, were they more likely to choose the acorns that were fertilized? And uh, as I recall, we did see a a small bump in a couple of nutrients hmm. in the, the mm-hmm. acorns. I think protein and maybe phosphorus, uh, it, it was statistically meaningful Too from a ones. biological standpoint. I don't know that I would call it biologically meaningful, but when we looked at wildlife use, it it didn't show any trend, right? That'd so we didn't tough. see yeah, stronger preference. Yeah, yeah, one of the things that that I've wondered about that too, because I've like you, Toxie, I've anecdotally seen that there's certain trees that when they mast, even if there's a bunch of others around doing the same thing, they're preferred. Mm-hmm. And I've always mm-hmm. thought, just kind of with my hunter's brain, not my researcher's brain, that there are other things about where that tree is situated that makes that deer comfortable or, you know, other species of wildlife comfortable with using that particular tree. Well, then the, the other question I was have is that there's so much more complexity to what's going on with the soil than N, P, and K in fertilizer. And I realize mm-hmm. fertilizers have various micronutrients, but could, could there, I mean, y'all Dudley has forgotten more than I'll ever know about this, but are there not other micronutrients that are so critical to triggering you know, whatever more flowers or a bigger acre or so forth too, that might be missing from some soils. It's hard to test. I mean, you'd almost have to do a soil yeah. test where every tree was to know that and then know what you applied. Yeah. And then the last thing I'll say when I was listening to y'all that occurred to me, cause it is so complex is that, you know, what might happen, it, it might take what, two to five years Dudley for that tree to actually exhibit the health increase from that fertilizer. Cause trees are in a different cycle than mm-hmm. corn beans, clover grasses, you know? Yeah. Very, very well could. So um, it's, yeah. it's, it's complex, but I, I think the message we're hearing, I'm hearing is like trying to keep people from like a lot of topics. They're kind of hunting lore as well alluded to is like, 
don't fertilize your oak trees and expect magic automatically because that's yeah. not been the proven case, you know. Well, right. I think one thing it showed is the you know, releasing the canopy is yes. is a tremendous benefit to that oak and how well it can produce. And it's, you're right, as as far as it being long-term, we were trying to address that. And it's one of the longest-term oak studies and the only one that I'm aware of that has included those two treatments. We were trying to do it long enough, so to speak, to account for, you know, year-to-year variation in oak masting and, and uh, the fact that it might take a long time uh, for them to respond. I think that is a is definitely important but the the take-home message it definitely wasn't magic but i i have been around plenty of of openings or you know food plots or places that are that have an oak that just rain it down and and every deer in the woods wants to be under it uh you know i i've gone through that as well as a hunter for a long time and and it definitely made me take a step back for a minute when i saw the data in aggregate but i also was one of the students that was out there counting you know tens of thousands of acorns so uh you know i I guess i have a (laughs) a unique perspective from that point of view is like well i've got to trust the data you know that uh it's pretty clear that canopy release it in that shorter five-year term is, is having a huge impact on uh on productivity and we didn't see it in fertilization, but I think it is important for you to realize that that doesn't mean that there aren't contexts where that's important. Right. I, I, I don't think it proves that, but it does uh, show me that, that some of the four stand improvement things that we commonly talk about could be particularly important, especially if you're managing mast production. And if you're thinning around your trees a little bit, you're you're probably going to be attracting more wildlife to that tree anyway by default, just because mm-hmm. it's going to have mm-hmm. more forbs and brows and things like that. Yeah, stump sprouts. You know? Yeah. So mm-hmm. while, while we're still here at re- talking about the release, can one of y'all explain the preferred method for releasing? Mm-hmm. Is it hack and squirt or is it a chainsaw or – what's the what's the most effective way to do that yeah that's that's a good question and it's going to be context dependent and and one of the things that i think bobby that's really important to to circle back to in this conversation is folks are oftentimes nervous about cutting any hardwoods especially oaks and rightfully so because we talked about at the beginning of this conversation how important of a role that they play in providing forage for wildlife But when we're armed with that knowledge of understanding that, you know, you have potentially half of the trees within a given population that are contributing very little in terms of acorn production, if you know which trees those are, then that potentially frees you up to start thinking about, hey, I can take this tree and that tree and, you know, benefit my better producers and maybe, you know, maybe even increase the amount of acorn production across that several acre stand compared to what it previously was. But, um, you know, there's traditional commercial harvest. If there's a market for that, of course, you know, the risk that you're going to run with, with commercial timber harvest in a hardwood stand is damage to trees that you want to leave behind. Um, so if that's a major concern or if there's not a market, 
or if you're working with a smaller acreage, a smaller uh, hardwood stand, like a lot of landowners are, especially down here in the South, like in streamside management zones, those buffers along creeks and things like that. My preferred method uh, was taught to me by Dr. Craig Harper, and that's to girdle and spray. Um, You know, I used to hack and squirt all the time, and he, I guess you could say, converted me. Um, cause especially when you're killing big well. trees, <laughs> yeah. Y'all get especially a kick out of you- this. Uh, Doug Dudley's nickname with me is Dr. Kaborkian. <laughs> 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 he is a hack and squirt master, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you're working with some of these bigger trees, like we've killed in, in some of my research, you know, that hack and squirt can turn into a lot of work. Yeah. Um, so Craig convinced us to go, you know, with a light saw with a relatively short bar on it. And, you know, you have one guy running the saw and, and one person with the, the spray bottle and you can loop around that tree pretty quickly. You're just cutting down into that living tissue, that cambium layer. And then the other guy's coming behind you and um, you're spraying a little bit of that solution into the into the cut. And, um, you know, anything that's about four inches in diameter or smaller, we just fell it right there and then we spray the stump. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. some of these trees that, that, that y'all are thinning out are, are significantly bigger than I was thinking Apparently. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. We've ki- we've killed uh shoot, I guess the biggest tree I can ever remember as far as one of these research projects was uh probably about a thirty inch poplar. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mac, you look like you got yeah. a question. Yeah, so one question that I have is so you've been able to identify the excellent trees, but what were some common variables like site location, pH? Uh, soil type. What, did you find any, uh, I guess, paths cross with the variables with the excellent trees? Yeah, that's a, a great question. One of the initial things that we did uh, with the white oak study, and, and at the time we had three years of data, and not just from the Tennessee site, we also had a North Carolina site. Uh, we were trying to figure out, is there something the, about the trees that predicts that they're going to be good, like what you know, like things you just said, what you know, their aspect or or uh, where they're at in the canopy, their bowl size, all all kinds of things like that. And what we came out with was basically, if you put all of those things into a model that you can observe on the oak, it explained like one or two percent of the variation. <laughs> so <Wow>. basically, <laughs> nothing. Uh, but what that basically told us is that it is driven by the individual's genetics Hmm. and i think that's particularly important i know i've talked to dudley about this a ton you know with you picking specific individuals that you guys are even growing trees from uh, in in your native nurseries uh it does seem to be genetic is most important and then if you give them room all of them will perform better but some individuals you know, 11% of the individuals in this study were producing almost half of the mast. Very interesting. So, and and then even, you know, we had to, we couldn't go to the individual level when we're summarizing data, but some individuals are producing a substantial amount of the mast, just that individual. In fact, uh, I have a current student, Kelsey Dumini, who's looking at those other oak species, and I believe it was... Uh, I can't remember which oak species. One of the oak species, it was a single-digit percent of the the acorn, or a single-digit percent of the trees were producing 
almost 80% of the mast. Hmm. So genetics seems to be the, the factor. Now, what we did find in that study is that you can take a few steps to identify which ones those are based on whether or not that you see acorns on the ground around them or in the canopy. And you guys know, uh, you know, you're, you're stewards of the land and, and paying attention while you're out there. You probably have a pretty good handle already, which individuals are, those are on your property. And uh, if we we basically did an analysis to try to figure out how could we identify it, and if you could show either by looking in the canopy with with the set of binoculars or or uh, you know seeing holes around the ground or however you're doing it, if you could show that a particular individual produces two out of three years, it's most likely a good or excellent producer. So that's not that difficult to do, but it, it does seem that you have to. Uh, look at the actual mast on it. That was the only thing that we could use to identify them. That makes sense. I, I do have one more question on on that. Would the age of the tree differ? Like, would it get worse the older it gets? Uh, could that have played a factor into being an excellent or an average tree? Yeah, Will, I, I know you just uh, you were just digging with and digging yeah. on that. Yeah, <laughs> you it, to talk it, about it. it. The, yeah, the answer is it depends, um, you know, on one, from one species to another. So there's been a couple of pretty good papers um, out of Southern Appalachia looking at this in Northern Red Oak, White Oak, Black Oak, Chestnut Oak, and Scarlet Oak. And um, like for White Oak in particular, their data showed that acorn production increases right up until about 28 to 30 inches, and that's where it peaks. Um, and the average was, I think, around... 2300 2400 acorns per tree and then after that that uh 28 to 30 inch diameter mark it starts to most white oaks start to decline so for example like a 38 inch white oak in that study they projected would drop down to about 1400 acorns per tree um so not quite half of what it was at its prime now um that's kind of like bobby as he gets older, <laughs> yeah, not as good as he <laughs> So, uh, northern red oak is kind of the same way. It peaks at about 20 inches and then um, it drops off, and its production was like a third of what it was at 20 inches once it hit like the mid 30s in diameter. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, and just for clarity, we, we weren't at the extremes. We all of our trees and the the study on white oaks were uh you know they were all either co-dominant or dominant in the canopy so they're you know probably talking about a 10 or 11 inch tree all the way up to maybe low 20s so i don't think we were studying the range of age where we would start seeing that happen in that population mm-hmm. so it's kind of that prime age white oak you know which is a pretty pretty wide swath of of size classes. Nosler suppressors are made for hunting. Adding a Nosler suppressor to your rifle will make you a quieter, more accurate, and more effective hunter. Protect your hearing and disturb less game with a Nosler suppressor. The time to hunt quiet is now. Learn more at Nosler.com. 
The Furminator is the industry's most versatile piece of food plot equipment, allowing plotters to do every step of the process, working the soil, adding seed and soil supplements, and compacting. From start to finish, with a single implement, it's hassle-free by design. Set it for the seed size and simply drive the tractor and the Furminator does the rest. Check it out at theferminator.com. It's clear that people should take away from this that the likely the top thing you can do is just give your tree some room, some space. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that obviously is the competition, the pulling nutrients or moisture and, you know, maybe shading out. But I'm just wondering, has anyone ever d- determined like in a lot of plants, you know, some plants compete. I mean, I plant stuff in my garden, some stuff with the least slightest competition that really can't be affecting nutrients or water because I give it to them every day in the garden, just wilt from any competition. And I just wonder how much is there something beyond what we physically study that affects, you know, trees being encroached on by other trees where some some trees are kind of dominant, like you said, and they don't care. And some do. I just wonder if there's more to it than just, you know, sunlight and nutrients and water and so forth from Give them space. I don't know. It just seems like plants are, are a little think, more mysterious. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg on this. And there's there's a yeah. lot of stuff that is hard for humans to understand that is going That's on. That's what I was getting at. I don't know that. You it know, just like, seems like it. Like the more you the you study know. with the mineral stumps, you know, that that just kind of blew my mind. But it's it's almost like you're doing the same thing. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're you're releasing that tree by cutting it down but then it sends up all these shoots and it has this monstrous root system yes it's going Mm -hmm. straight to these you know these small little stems that are coming out of the roots and and packed with nutrition there's just so many things and then uh i've got a fellow oak nerd buddy uh ryan russell oh he's the man he was telling me that you know there's folks saying that you know some of these trees that aren't good producers these individuals they actually may be the trees that are helping to pollinate um, yeah. some of these trees that uh, produce heavily. Yeah, and I was so wondering if timber production. It's just kind of like, you know, when you're shooting, uh, you know, does hold a lot of the genetic information that helps a, a buck express its antler genetics. You know, you, you can't just cull bucks mm-hmm. uh, to get good antlers. And so I think there's a lot of, I guess what I'm saying is I think there may be a lot of unknowns. What are you that, saying, Dudley? That Mother Nature. <laughs> yeah. I think you, you know, just said well, it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's, just, it's had, fascinating. And what that's saying yeah. is there's a lot more for you guys to study and, and come yeah. back to us on. And y'all got to understand you're talking to a guy who, who talks to his place, you know, comfort rock music to his oak trees and talks to them. And, <laughs> <laughs> I know that well, works. It does work. He can grow them. <laughs> yeah, Dudley, I, I thought you may have have read a book called The Secret Life of Trees. Have you read that? You know, I hate to admit this, but uh, and Bronson has really gotten on to me about this. But I don't like reading books. I, I hadn't read books since the internet came out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, th- this one's on Audible, so you can listen. To okay, it. good. But you should, <laughs> uh, because it's speaking to what you guys are talking about right now, and. As someone who has studied oaks and, and various other plants for years and years now, it blew my mind at how, how much I didn't understand about what's actually going on. And uh, one thing that you guys didn't mention, uh, one of the really important things that 
we really don't understand very well other than to know that it's important is mycorrhizae in the soil and mm-hmm. the association with, with different trees and they're it's connecting them. They're sharing nutrients and information and all sorts of things through it. Uh, now we're that talking, book kind yes. of touches on that. And, and we really just don't have, we don't have that figured out. And, uh, and I certainly don't understand it. I, you know, <laughs> how that works, but I do understand enough to know that I really don't know how, he just got one of my favorite sayings. Is. As I get older, I used it this morning. I was like, as I get older, I realize, and people are talking about being smart or having wisdom or something like that. It's like the really smart people are the ones that know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And he just reminded me of that. Yeah. I, you know, um, just listening to all this, I'd just be interested to know. I mean, I'm assuming with both y'all being hunters and, and spending time in the woods growing up, your lives and everything else, what was some of the, I guess, uh, the most surprising thing that, that came to light for you for these studies, either something that you assume was true or assume was false. Uh, I, I will say in this long-term study, I expected them to respond to the fertilization. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was going to happen uh, at least in the ones that we released, because I thought even if it is just helping the tree expand its canopy faster, we'll pick that up and the, the way that we're, measuring it Mm -hmm. so that that was very surprising to me but you know when when we're talking with the mycorrhizae for instance Mm -hmm. if that's connecting a ton of trees together maybe you have to fertilize a bunch of them before they wow they all start i mean you know there's so many things to learn about it uh I, i just i don't have a good uh handle on why we didn't see a response but i can think of several things to look into that's as good. a result of that's that that's good job security right there more right. more stuff to study <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah there were a couple of things that really surprised me about this and you know one of them was deadly like you i can remember i was in the audience i don't know if it was the same place that you were when you heard dr harper share some of this information on fertilization canopy um limiting canopy com- competition but one of the stats that he threw out there was that a third of the white oaks in their study produced 75% of the acorns. And when I heard that, I was, I was just floored, you know, mm-hmm. um, the second, the second thing I think that w- is right up there and maybe even more surprising to me than the first was that, you know, there are some species like white oaks that do tend to decline in production once they pass a certain size. Cause just growing up hunting, I mean, especially like if I, if you're out on a new tract of ground, I was always looking for the biggest trees, 100%. you know, mm-hmm. the and, biggest, uh, whitey, scaliest bark. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And how many times, you know, did I sit over one of those trees and not sing a, see a single thing, you know, <laughs> and now, now we have a little bit more information as to why, I mean, part of it's cause I may not be that good of a hunter, but part of it may have been the Oak's fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was talking to well bronson the other day about this and uh, this very subject and uh you know at, at my farm growing up i had this southern red oak uh, and it was right near a white oak and a few years both of them would be dropping at the same time and by golly the deer would go right to that nasty high tannin southern red oak and just gorge themselves on those things. And mm-hmm. they would just sit there and watch the white oaks drop right next to it. Um, and, you know, I know that's anecdotal and just one one instance. Well, 
But that kind of leads me to think that there's something that we don't know how to measure yet uh, or that we've overlooked that is, is why a deer would choose one acorn tree over another, hmm. um, especially when you can put a Southern red in your mouth and chew on it. And I mean, you want to go wash <laughs> your mouth out and the white Oak. Oh, it's, it's a little sour, but it's, it's not that bad, you know? Yeah. So it just well, makes me want to ask more, more questions. Yeah. Yeah. Dudley, uh, just to add to that, uh, you guys remember Mariah Bogus, you, you helped, I think I talked about oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. last fall on an episode with you guys, uh, about some of the research that, that you were instrumental in helping us accomplish. Uh, but one of the things that we did and we haven't gotten it published yet, but we, we did the work and I, I kind of have a good handle on what it, it's likely to show. Uh, we looked at 20 species or maybe 18 or 20 species of oaks. We did diet selection trials and uh Southern red oak was commonly up near the top. Hmm. It's, yeah, so uh, that that may not, you know, may not be far off base with your, your anecdote. Uh, the other thing that I think is an important point, another thing that was really eye-opening to me about this subject, uh, came to fruition in our current study. You know, I've talked to people about diversity and why you'd want different oak species, and we've gone through that, but we have a really clear uh evidence of that now of why you wouldn't just want the one that everything likes the most exactly and uh so we're you know when we were tracking the swamp chestnut oak and laurel oak and water oak and there's a couple of other species we just don't have that many individuals that we're tracking uh it is clear you know as clear as it can be that deer prefer chestnut swamp chestnut oak yep. over those other species the great it's, it's, it's obvious yeah. it, it has it has shown that in a various diet selection trials but we you know now that we're tracking them over multiple years we had one year where uh swamp chestnut oaks just completely failed we had no acorns produced from any tree yeah. And uh, the like other this year, just about yeah. they're scarce this year up so, here. Yeah, and uh, the study site where we're doing that work, they're scarce this year on that study site because it got hit by the hurricane. Oh god! And uh, all the mass fell out of the trees, so uh, they all fail, but they fell in August instead of ripening. But uh, so what that told me is one of it's a real clear reason why you would want to have a diversity of oak species because they kind of prop each other up, right? We had this huge boom year and then these bust years, especially when you only have one or two species, but they don't align with one another necessarily. And you kind of smooth that variability out where you can always have some mass pr produced if you have several species in the mix. And for sure, that, that, that was something that really kind of just illuminated for me when I was looking at this data uh, you know, that that's pretty important. I would have said swamp chestnut oak is what you want, but now, uh, now I'm kind of reining that back a little bit because those other species produced really well, even though it failed completely. For sure. Well, one other aspect of that is I was thinking about a minute ago when we were just on this whole subject of oaks and managing that in, in most places, best case scenario, you're looking at four, four months worth, maybe. 
I guess stuff left over and there's not a high density maximum six months. And when you talked about diversity just then, there's two reasons that jumped in my head. One was what you talked about because a certain species might not produce and mm-hmm. certainly don't want a monoculture of one type. But then there's that length of time. So we've got, you know, a lot of people are down on softtooth in this day and age and true to form. They do pile out of, you know, long before the Alabama season opens, you know, they but they do extend the season of whatever nutrition or availability, like around here, uh, I guess the great late thing for us is not all, especially in the low areas. There'll still be acorns hanging in trees on well into January and dropping the uh, markets. I remember we don't have them here, but uh, down around Livingston, there's a lot of laurel oaks and they're, mm-hmm. I think famous for being real late too. But so I'm just saying from what you've said, People should take stock in diversity also to extend the window of attractiveness, mm-hmm. you know, not only the benefit to your wildlife, but like having critters on your place. Cause we've proven around here. I don't need the research to prove deer, especially mature deer will migrate a long way to go to mm-hmm. the best food source in the fall and winter. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, you want that on your place. Yeah, for and sure. It's, yeah. it's cool that like, you know, not all Oak is, you know, when people say, what's your latest dropping oak you carry? And not all oak is the clear winter, uh, especially for the South. Yeah. Uh, and they drop like in December, January, and February. Yeah. But a lot of those other red oaks that may drop in October and November, uh, a lot of them remain under the leaf litter uh, for the mm-hmm. fall and winter, just like, you know, Mariah showed in his study. Um, yep. And so whether you have a late dropping oak or a, an oak that drops acorns in the fall that the deer and turkeys just don't eat until late winter they're mm-hmm. they're both important i i want both i want the yeah. late droppers yeah. and the early droppers. absolutely i want the diversity yeah. that's a great point dudley and and part of the w- point i wanted to make um but to take it a little bit further even than that and just kind of expand it out beyond thinking about oaks is you know like when i teach my students in my habitat management class i tell them you know this plant or that plant maybe isn't as preferred by deer, isn't as preferred as a seed producer for birds like turkeys, but that doesn't mean that it's a low value wildlife plant. You know, they all kind of interact and they have, they feel their own role in the ecology. And we need those things that are lower preference earlier in the year so that when times get hard, you know, later on into winter, thinking about like February, that there's still some forage available out there, whether it be through the, the form of red oaks or even, you know, just like with soft mass, there's some soft mass species that are less preferred that you'll see birds starting to eat on when, once we get to that time of year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good, that's a good point. 100%. Mac, you had another question you wanted to ask? So I, I know we're on hard mass. What would y'all's hypothesis be on soft mass on the fertilizer? Would, it, would you assume that it would have no effect on the production? I I would have to speculate on that. I I don't know. Uh, but we have so much information from an agricultural sense. Like we clearly can affect soft mass and hard mass production in a bunch of agricultural species, including trees. Uh, my instinct is that it would, it may, uh, it probably wouldn't, uh, have the effect that we usually see in that circumstance. But I wouldn't be surprised if you saw, like if you f- were fertilizing persimmon, for instance, I-, I wouldn't be surprised to see a response, but I- I'm completely 
uh, speculating on that. And, and while have you done like anything Dudley with the stuff we planted soft mast um, that you could tell? I mean, it, yeah, and it it's you know obviously helps them grow faster, which I kind of want to mention that uh, is that I have heard uh, folks say I've I've seen people posting it on social media and stuff not to fertilize your oaks because of these studies. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if if you're doing some re, you know regeneration plantings and you're like in a field that. Uh, maybe a little bit low in fertility. You you give it some NP and K, it's going to grow faster than the one next to it that you don't fertilize. Yes. So if if you want them to grow fast and uh, produce at a younger age and and grow to get a bigger canopy, absolutely you can you can get them further along by fertilizing them. These studies are just saying that if you fertilize trees, they're not going to produce more acorns, but uh, you mm-hmm. can you can definitely make them grow faster when they're in that vegetative juvenile stage uh, to get them to maturity sooner than later. Yes. If you combine it with, with full sun, I just, I wanted to clarify that because I, I think, I think that's a really important point. And, you know, we have data from various aspects, but also Tim, you know, a lot of uh, timber companies fertilize their trees at those young young stages for, Mm -hmm. to enhance survival and growth rate. So that, yeah, don't take from the studies that there's no reason to ever fertilize, but don't think it's going to be a magic bullet that's, that's right. just going to instantly turn into a ton more mass yeah. that everything wants to eat. Uh, but, you know, back to the soft mass thing, you know, if you've got apples and pears out in the middle of a field in an orchard style, yeah, you know, if you want to prune them and fertilize them, uh, that's going to make them produce more fruits. But if you're in a a more natural setting like in the in the woods and you've got black gums and black cherries and uh, all that kind of stuff uh, i would think the first thing you would want to do is is release them uh, just like mm-hmm. you're doing with these acorn trees and, mm-hmm. and make them have a bigger canopy make them have more root space and you'll get a lot more production out of that than than fertilizing mm-hmm. would be my guess on that Quick question on the fertilization. Was it granular fertilizer or how was it applied or uh, just a couple yeah, notes about uh, that? that was, those were students after I graduated that did that, uh, but I believe that it was granulated, yeah. And uh, I know that they they took a soil test and then fertilized NP and K and lime according to whatever the recommendations were for every individual. And so they could see those nutrient levels increasing in the soil, but not the production in the trees. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So have you got, with all these studies, and Will a minute ago was talking about how a, a, a tree, a, a certain size tree was producing, somebody counted all the acorns that it dropped. I think it was 2,400 or 3,800. That's a tough job. Is there a, <laughs> is there a way to yes. extrapolate and, and say that an acre of hardwoods could produce X amount of pounds of acorns per year. Y'all are not. Marcus, is, Marcus has done the math on that one. Yes. <laughs> yes, there is. I, I posted it on Instagram uh, at, at some point in the past. But uh, if you're looking at a fully stocked stand, I think, uh, let's see, what were the numbers? A fully stocked oak stand. Wasn't that about a hundred stems per acre? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. A hundred yeah. stems per acre 
and we used uh, the math that that Mariah came up with when he was uh, doing his study. If you guys remember, he he used your equipment to collect like seventy five thousand acorns, mm-hmm. and then he went out and simulated masting under individual trees, and he had to calculate how many acorns does that mean on average per tree for a decent year and uh what that would work out to is about three hundred thousand acorns per acre hmm. and a hundred if you had a hundred trees fully stocked stand uh you know using various sources of data and that i believe was was uh across various oak species that was just averaged so you know, 300,000 acorns, and, and uh, he also started weighing acorns to figure out how many per pound there were, which I I think we told Dudley about this, and he had some different measures for some of the, the other species, but we worked it out, and that was about 5,000 pounds per acre of acorns. Hmm. 5,000 pounds per acre. Of That's a lot. So two it really qu- is. Yeah, two <laughs> questions was, is that a fully mature, I'm assuming that's a fully mature stand, mm-hmm. 100 stems per acre. Yeah. So g- generally speaking, and maybe this is a school of forestry question, but at 100 stems per acre hardwoods or oaks, what age would you generally consider it to become fully mature? I know that's got a lot of variables and soil types and riverbank versus hilltop, but what in general at 100 stems, what would you call the age to first become, say, and I know it's an average, fully mature? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think you're right. It depends on a lot. It, the data that we pulled that from, I think they were 50 to 80-year-old okay. stands or yeah. something like that. that. I was going to say, in my, by my whatever anecdotal learning as a timber owner, it, at least 50 to at least mm-hmm. 50. I used to think mm-hmm. it might be sooner, and I realized competition and soil type and all changes it. But sure, sure. Yeah, I've seen coming back from a clear cut stuff that's fifty five years, and it's nowhere near maturity because there's too many stems to start with. But still, mm-hmm. I'm just curious what y'all found. Fifty to eighty. I yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what the data that we pulled from was. Uh, right. I, I'm sure that you could ask a variety of foresters, and they may disagree. Or, or caveat that, but uh, that's where we got the data to calculate that. Go, Matt. Thank you. So this is my last phone a friend, I promise. Uh, <laughs> so we're, we're really focusing on quantity more so than quality. Is can you? Is there? I just think of the inputs, and I, I think of like a tree produces three thousand acorns a year. But if it produced a thousand, would those thousand be higher quality than the three thousand? Does that affect? Is there any quantity over quality or quality over quantity? Well, I don't got anything for that. One. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> hey, I think you stumped him. Wait, wait, wait. He's from Auburn, but he's a smart guy. Because I just said you got to know what you don't know, and he, yeah. and he said I don't know. That's a smart. I guy. love. I love how you caveated that by yep. me being from Auburn. But made, he's a smart guy. Well, I have to because <laughs> of Bobby. If Bobby wasn't here, I'd give you a pass. Oh, wow. <laughs> the the closest thing uh, data point that I'm aware of that touches on that is that. Um, we have looked at the the green weight 
of acorns produced, you know, so not just looking at the total quantity, but actually the amount of sound acorns and um, that that green weight and the, the amount of sound acorns that a deer would actually eat, for example, uh, tends to be much higher for northern red oak and white oak than, than several other species that have been looked at. But as far as within a species a, a, for a tree that produces a thousand versus three thousand, I'm not sure. I, I think that is a really great question. And uh, we have the opportunity on our ongoing work to actually test that. And I'm probably going to do that now. So I appreciate that. Good job. Uh, you go, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there's some sort of trade off between the quality of the acorns and, and the number that they're being, that they're producing. However, there is a bunch of, of data on various plant species showing that there are trade-offs in the investment in the number of seeds and other characteristics about the seeds right. that could matter a lot. Uh, I, I'm not, I can't think of something right off the top of my head that is a, that is a single species, but there is tra a trade-off uh, at least across a bunch of plant species in a genus for how much they invest in seed number versus size. So I would not be surprised if some of them that may not produce as many might have a higher quality or a larger acorn or something like that, even within the oak species. That wouldn't surprise me that much based on those other lines of, of evidence, but uh, I think that's a really good question. Well, there's been research, and I'm sure you guys could look it up, I found it on Google 20 years ago. Dudley looked at it, but it was um, nutritional analysis by species. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it indicated that it was commonality across the species. So I would tell me, regardless of how many produced, it showed, and this I believe, it the the highest protein content, I think it weighing in at a whopping like 9% or something, was a Durand. <laughs> and if you're familiar with the prairie, the Durand white oak, we have mm -hmm. actually have a lot of them here. But the one thing consistently at the top in fat content was the Corcus Mishua. Swamp chestnuts. Yep. Huh. So I would say if there was a Durand in that study, then the study was probably done at Mississippi State, if I had to guess. Could have been, yeah. but it was all, I have a you bunch know, of those on my place. I love it. It's a beautiful acorn. But um wasn't the Durand one of the most wildlife beneficial though, because of the size? But I mean it was yes, a great size. It just I was just looking at yeah. You know, fat, fiber, protein, so carbs, forth. fat, it, yeah. yeah. And it was mm -hmm. the you know, but there wasn't a wide range. It was like seven to tops was like eight point eight or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the clearly the big thing that stuck at which means why they're so preferred, they taste so good, was the fat content and the and you can see the differences in the carbs versus fats too. That yeah. was that was pretty pretty wide. If mm -hmm. I remember, it's out correct. there, but it's been done a long time ago because I looked it up yeah. probably what twenty years ago, Dudley and I looked at it and i've looked at it and googled it again and couldn't find it yeah oh they're censoring I, no it's out there. i've seen <laughs> it's out i've there. seen some of that that kind of data and will and i just were having this conversation recently a lot of the work that we reference when we go back in fact this the age classes that you referenced what is that from the 50s or 60s will? Mm, you 40s or maybe, 1944 yeah, 40s. a lot of the work that we looked back to on this kind of stuff was done decades and decades ago. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I definitely have gotten a renewed interest in it. And I think uh, that's shared across quite a few researchers, but uh, 
Yeah, that's a good point. The oaks can vary across species, but whether or not they do within species based on their relative investment and production, I, d- I don't know. And the other thing that I was going to mention earlier, you know, when Marcus was talking about all the work that he's got going on right now down in Florida is that a lot of the studies that we're pulling from to make decisions about hardwood management are also kind of from further up north in the Mid-South. There's not been a whole lot of it done in, you know, coastal plain ecosystems and, you know, our oak communities that we commonly have here. So that's an important gap as well. Yeah, that'll be a good I think that's one of the reasons that the the recent study you guys published, Will, was really important. Yeah. Because we don't have that much information in in some of these more southern systems. So, Will, do you have a a favorite oak tree? Uh, Would it be a white oak? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to go wrong with a white oak. <laughs> well, around where, you, where you're living now, it, it, I mean, it, a lot of times in these big fields, you'll see these big, giant water oaks. Mm-hmm. And growing up around Montgomery, I remember bow hunting around a lot of them, yeah, and they, they're early. just hard to beat them. Yeah, early. They're great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I've, yeah, I've killed a lot of deer sitting over water oaks. Yep, me too. I have. They love them. Yeah. I just nowadays I I generally lump all of those together as a small acorn red, you know, right. cherry bark, willow <laughs> oak, water oak, shingle. Uh, I just feel like they're so important to wildlife, and we you know we overlook yeah. all of that, you know. And uh, in in Mariah Bogus's deal, his study that uh, just kind of turned me on to that. That uh, you know we, we always just thought white oaks were king, and that's what we wanted to plant mm-hmm. all over our place, but. It just goes back to diversity. Uh, yep. Last year, I'd be walking around in the in the big woods in in February looking for turkey sign, and mm-hmm. uh, where did I find all the turkey sign? It was where all the little small acorn reds had dropped mm-hmm. acorns that yep. uh, the the deer and stuff missed during the fall. Well, they last longer too, especially if they're not underwater. Yeah, yep. those small yeah. reds. I guess there's more tannins. Is that a preservative kind of Dudley? I think so. Yeah, they just mm-hmm. seem to last so much longer. Yeah, Yeah, Marcus and I I just talked about this the other day too. (laughs) It's hard to beat a good white oak that's dropping during during early bow season. We don't talk about the the unsung hero is the willow oak too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. In our ongoing study, we're tracking acorn production by week on every individual. That's great. Pretty pretty intense. Uh Pretty intensive. I think I may have talked about this with you guys before, but uh, we have more data now. One thing that's been pretty remarkable, and we have the best data on water oak, but this seems to hold true with with uh, with other species as well. Is there's quite a bit of individual variation in when they produce as well. And I, I did talk about it because I remember Toxie uh, calling out the oak species before I even said it last time. <laughs> but water oak, we we have some that are peaking, like individuals in the same population, their peak production is early October. And we have other individuals that their peak production is in December and they, and they're everywhere in between that. And that's a Southern Georgia study site. And that, I, that's something else that's been pretty remarkable. We haven't published that yet because uh, we want to get more data on it, but the individual variation is, is substantial. We see that a lot in the, and of course they're not, natural here but live oaks you know they're planted all Mm. over the landscape around here um Mm. and yeah we see a lot of variation with that you know in fact Mm -hmm. we've got a a few parent trees we collect from and they'll have uh, uh, 
green acorns on it at the same time that they've got mature black acorns that are dropping. You know, it's like a, yeah, um, that's really cool. It's like an indeterminate tomato. They'll be dropping, <laughs> you know, some of them in October and then it'll have green ones that are even a little bit smaller that don't mature until yeah. December. Uh, but yeah, like you said, some of those water oak, uh, water oaks are incredibly variable from tree to tree. Well, Dudley's been walking. I mean, I, I, there's probably a few people in America that have walked, and picked up acorns under more different trees in Dudley, but there's not many. And he's been doing it for quite some time, <laughs> helping select and fine-tune what we're offering here at the nursery. And when you say that by your findings, just I know it's kind of anecdotal, not hard research, that certain trees that have an odd drop date, like a shimar that drops in September or something like that, um, or the like the you know, we've got the late drop live thing that has green acorns all the way into late January here, do you see that that continues year over year? So it's a genetic, more of a genetic trait. I think so. Yeah, yeah. That's why. I, I mean, it's not something that varies from year to year. They're that's they're what very I was asking. Con- yeah, consistent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That I, that's what our data are showing as well. That in the end of some individuals are just predisposed to be at a different time than others. But another thing that has been surprising is we are seeing it on kind of a sliding scale. We think where the whole population, the timing is kind of fluctuating a few weeks even in terms of when the overall peak in the population is from year to year. So that's that's been surprising. But again, we've only had three years on that, so I'm not real real confident in that yet. But it did vary uh, more than I expected, although they kind of stay in organized in that variability, if it makes sense, mm-hmm. where some individuals are always going to be the earliest ones in the population but exactly what timing that is, it varies, uh, at least in in uh, that that study area. Another thing I love about the oaks is there's just so much more to learn, you know. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing I was going to mention to circle back to the point Toxie made earlier is, you know, uh, red oaks are available uh, to wildlife generally later on into the late winter and early spring. And part of the reason for that is that white oak you know species of the white oak group not just the white oak but the species in that group when they hit the ground they germinate relatively quickly yeah. after they hit the ground that fall whereas red oaks wait longer and they're not going to germinate on until on into spring and i'd always assumed that that was probably part of the part of the adaptation of red oak acorns having higher tannins was to help them prevent being consumed before they had had time to germinate and reproduce and so Marcus and I were talking about this the other day and uh, he informed me, I learned something new that really one of the ma- main roles of those, of that high tannin content in red oak acorns is to prevent insect damage before the acorns drop. So, you know, maybe having that higher tannin content helps prolong their availability since they don't germinate to spring, but it, it apparently plays a role in their insect damage prevention as well. Hmm. I mean, that's yeah, a lot that's of plants that make, them, make themselves taste worse, you know, in, mm-hmm. in areas to not be boogered up by insects. Mother Nature's mm-hmm. amazing. Yep. So, Absolutely. Uh, what should yep. we be asking you guys? What is there any more interesting facts that you guys were planning on discussing that we haven't asked a question about? I, I was going to set you up, Will. <laughs> you, you did talk about, uh, you know, th- other benefits that are coming from releasing oaks. And uh, yes. I think Will, that you should you should talk about your data because they they weren't looking at production necessarily, but 
those other effects. And I think that's pretty important yes. to, to add in here that you're getting other things from, you know, that, that canopy release. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so kind of, this was from Mark Turner's master's research a couple of years ago, and he's working on his PhD now up at uh university of Tennessee with Dr. Harper, but you know, Craig had done a lot of that work, uh, reducing the canopy and hardwood systems and starting to introduce fire and looking at responses. But a lot of that previously had been done in the Mid-South with more, you know, more of your traditional upland oak species. And, you know, people were more readily accepting of the fact that they introduced, you know, fire into that system. Well, you know, we're down here in Auburn. We're right on the fall line. So, you know, the coastal plain is 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 right here um, to our south. And we wanted to see, you know, could that be done here? You know, and the main concern was that we have a lot more, you know, thin skinned or thin barked, if you will, oak species in our, a lot of our hardwood forests, namely uh, water oak. And the concern was that we were going to result in a lot of damage if we introduced fire. So we went in uh, to these stands. It was actually in Barber County, Alabama, and we reduced the canopy closure in these mature hardwood stands by about 30%. So we went, we took them from, you know, like 5% sunlight up to 35, 40% sunlight hitting the ground. So not a wide open like Savannah, but, you know, we transitioned it into a woodland and we did that with the technique that I talked about earlier, which is girdle and spray. And, you know, we really didn't even need to remove that many oaks uh, to achieve that. Now we could have identified our poor producers and removed those and not lost much, but we were able to get pretty close to where we wanted by just removing things like, you know, sweet gums and poplars and maples and relatively low, low value wildlife trees. And so after we did that, um, we introduced fire into the system. And, you know, so we're at a point now where given everything that we've talked about today, not only have we probably retained most of our acorn production, in those hardwood stands, which is what hunters typically value them for. Um, we may have even enhanced that by releasing those canopies from competition. And then on top of that, we increased deer forage biomass from about 25 pounds an acre to about 125 pounds an acre. And of course, you know, depending on how you implement your prescribed fire in that stand and that follow-up management, um, you know, you could also manage those areas for brooding and nesting cover for turkeys on top of that. So now you've got an area that can be used for turkey reproduction in the summertime. And you've got, you know, acorns dropping in the fall and you've got deer even foraging in there and maybe even dropping fawns in these areas that have more understory vegetation um, in the summer as well. So to me, it's kind of a win-win, I guess, win. <laughs> and um, we also found, you know, if you run your, your fire through there properly, um, and we can go into more detail on that if y'all want to, or we may not have time. But if you maintain a relatively low intensity flame, we got almost, we got very little actual cambium damage to any of those water oaks in there. I mean, my takeaway from you guys and listen to everybody and is, is like, go spend some time on your place. Don't just rush out there and do anything and get a feel for trees that are these winners you know they might not be 20 or 30 percent of your trees the real winners and you can't do that in even one season probably no but you know mark them flag them and then you know spend a couple of years doing that and whatever you do even if they even if you're going to clear cut your place for money and whatever 
don't let anybody touch those stud muffins. You know, <laughs> you know they're, they're so valuable. For Would you say, Marcus, Will, that's one uh, of the absolutely. things take away. If you can identify that, because you could even say, someone could argue with me and say, well, they're going to quit producing at a certain age anyway, but you're leaving all those offspring from it yeah. genetically in your mm-hmm. stand too. So, right. um, you know, I would be sure. And what I'm going to do is try to spend more time and mark those. I've spent enough time historically to know where some of them are. And be sure, and then you know if I let if Doctor Kavorkian, if I hire him to go in there and <laughs> take care of some of the unwanted stuff, then he'll know for sure what to not mess with. You know. Yeah, yeah, and we find that typically you keep an eye on them for about three years, and you get a pretty good sense of what they're going to do. I actually did that on on a timber harvest on our property in Alabama, where we we retained only about ten percent of the trees or so, and man, they rain them down. Hmm. It was all, I've been hunting there my whole life. I knew every tree inside and out and exactly what you're saying. Just, you know, uh, take some time to learn about what's going on on your land while you're out there. It's not just about being out there, you know, take notes too. So guys, I want to ask or or just make sure that anybody listening that we clarify this, but when you talk about girdling or hacking and squirting, do you, Guys, do you have to worry about – so if you girdle and squirt a sweet gum, do you have to worry about that chemistry getting down into the roots and then an oak tree over here next to it taking that up and it accidentally killing that tree? So that that is another major barrier to managing hardwood systems the way that we did in that study. So we tracked all the adjacent trees that we retrain, that we retained next to the treated trees. And we were actually looking at two different herbicide formulations, um, one of which was kind of a more traditional 50-50 garlon and water uh, solution. And the other one actually had a little bit of Arsenal AC in it. And the reason we added that Arsenal AC is that we wanted to expand our spectrum of control beyond what just the garlon would get. And the garlon in particular um, isn't very effective at any trees in the hickory genus. Um so I won't go into all the findings about those two different solutions unless y'all want to. But my point is the solution that did have Arsenal AC in it should have had a greater root transfer potential than the one that was just garland and water. And the only incidental kill that we found of all the trees that we treated, and we tracked hundreds of them, uh, was of one sweet gum stem that we believe was suckered off of one of the trees that we intentionally treated. So um, we didn't cry about that one. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah. But I think I've heard of a guy that accidentally. I, I know a guy. Yeah. yeah. Just follow the labels is yes. all I got to say. Yes. Because let me tell you. Don't read over. and follow the labels. It'll, it'll, it'll get them. It was it a does. big oak tree. It was too, a big oak tree. And it was arsenal. Yeah. yeah, and and that's the thing is don't be, especially if you're walking around in hardwoods with a solution that contains any arsenal, you don't have room to be sloppy. No. Yeah, I was a little sloppy, I think. <laughs> yeah. and, and then it rained right after. It. On the ground. It was, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Dudley, why don't you ask them your trivia question? Okay. And, and before we do that, um, Mac or Richie, one of y'all, who are, guys, we've got a trivia question. Mac, who are we playing for? All right, so the good docs are playing for Austin Hanna, and the prize is a brand spanking new Gamekeeper mesh back cap. Yeah, what? Hey, look, we've got them in the store now. The 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 old school mesh back bottomland Gamekeeper hat. We've got that. 
we got those in stock now. So guys can go to the Gamekeeper, Gamekeeper, and there's a thing that says shop. You can click on it and you can see it. But so if you guys get this question right, uh, I'll send Hannah. Yeah, we'll win the prize. So. Well, we should send them caps too, please. Oh yeah, um, we'll we'll give them caps. Um, but you gotta get it right. Okay, so um, I was thinking about doing a, t- a best two out of three. Ooh, but uh, go for it. So it these must are, be because he came up with some hard ones, right? Exactly. So <laughs> these are the kind of these are the kind of questions that you probably haven't needed to know the answer to since you took dendrology <laughs> or something like that but oh it, it is fun to try to stump y'all so um anyway uh, i hope your feelings aren't too hurt if you do miss something so anyway i, I told marcus going into today that dudley's probably going to stump us on some aspect <laughs> of the um, well but, you've already gotten us a few times since we've been on the air i just remind you of that okay and, uh, also i don't think i've actually gotten one of these correct yet okay I'm terrible with trivia yeah, you're consistent all right okay yeah. so um first question what do you call the root that grows out of an acorn or, or other seeds like as soon as it pops out what is what is the scientific term that is not like a young root what what do you call that is it not will i'm sorry austin radical correct (laughs) he got one (laughs) maybe i should have kept that one okay all right and then also what is the male flower called and and it's other other trees but what what is it also called on an oak? What is a male flower that hangs down from the branch and sheds pollen? What do you call that? Will? I think I know, but I know you know. So well, no, I know. Why don't, I, I why don't you help Austin out? Will, um, you go ahead. It's called a catkin. That's what I was going with. Okay, and I, you'll I, never know the difference. Too, I, I believe you on that. I do believe you. I, I, I knew it, but I wanted Will to answer. And I'm going to be honest. I, I had to double check this one. So, uh, but I used to the know this The male flower or, or, the, or the next question? This next question. Yeah, if he had okay. to double check, it's going to be a rough one. Uh, and this also <laughs> applies to other seeds and you know nuts and things. What What is the, what do you call the outer shell or covering of an acorn? Hmm. And I'm not talking about the, the cup or cupule or however you pronounce it. What is the actual shell of, of the acorn called? They already got two. You should have retained this. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait from, a time uh, out. Time out. From freshman year dendrology. I mean, hey, come hey, on, Dudley. They've won two out of three already, so they're playing with house money now, right? Yeah, that's right. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so the outer. I have a guess, but I don't think it's correct. Okay. You got a guess, Will? Um, no, I was going to have one, but I think I was scared they'd hear my key- keyboard typing. <laughs> <laughs> have you had time to Google it? Yet? It's kind of loud. <laughs> yeah. All right. I don't have a good answer. Um, I'm the answer I have to is go with husk. The answer is pericarp. 
Oh, wow. man. Oh, my yes. goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I thought that's I what we use for catfish bait. But <laughs> I'm going to go with two out of three. I, I think Will had 100%. that word catkin in his, in his mind, and he just that, didn't want You know, pericarp is a word I've heard before. So Yeah, I've, I've used it in quite a few papers, actually, but right. it's always for self-mast. <laughs> so... Anyway, that's it. Well, we've enjoyed having you guys on. We hundred percent. We thank a lot of y'all. Y'all got a great podcast going mm-hmm, down there. Do. What is it called? Turkey Science. Yeah, oh, wild Turkey Science. Yep. Yeah. And uh, we, we y'all y'all are doing a great job, and uh, the, the, all this research that you guys are doing uh, is just fantastic. Yeah, well, we appreciate that. Yeah, we were going to call the podcast Turkey Science. It you know rolls off the tongue a little bit easier, but we didn't want people to think it was about the country, so we had to throw <laughs> ah, the wild in go. front of there. <laughs> you know, we're we, start, we we're starting do. to look at those analytics. <laughs> we actually do get quite a few downloads in Turkey, the country. <laughs> so uh, we're thinking they're thinking it's a different kind of wild turkey. Uh, so y'all y'all are on the charts in Turkey, <laughs> huh? We showed up in yep. Mexico, didn't we? I yeah. bet they're really disappointed when they download. <laughs> <laughs> what it's, is this? It's not the wild side of Turkey they were looking for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Well, we really appreciate it, guys. It's always a, a blast talking to you. Like we appreciate y'all being here. Love Absolutely. talking about this subject, especially well, we, yeah. very near and dear to us. Well, we, it's it's October. It's yeah. October. And I will say we have a fine, fine crop of seedlings over there. We really do right now. Yep. Each one of them has been hand selected. So, Ex- yeah. except next year, I, I don't think the swamp chestnuts are going to be hand selected. I, I may have to rely on a listener yeah. that, that knows where some well, swamp chestnuts are man, dropping. This, this, but we do have a lot uh, of swamp chestnut seedlings this year. Oh, we got a ton. So, yeah. To your Get point, Marcus, I have a spot that I cleared 22 years ago and made a food plot, maybe an acre and a half, and it's got everything great soil mm. water close by roots and then released them and there's three swamp chestnuts 21 consecutive years they rain wow. like just so they've got it all yeah and, they do you know i yep. released them they're getting fertilizer if that helps or not it certainly isn't hurting and to this year i went and not a single acre it's first time in 21 years that's how wow. bad it is wow <laughs> dang yeah. Not a single acre. And then I don't know, Dudley, was it a late freeze or was it with the, the debacle we had back in December? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I think mm. it's a little bit of both. But it's the worst, just, and I hadn't been out a lot, but in, I look a lot. It's the worst mm. white oak year in my entire life that I, for me, mm. right now. Yeah. We yeah. got a few post oaks, a few chinka pins. Mm-hmm. That's, that's about it around here. A few mm. whites. Well, guys, we appreciate y'all being around. Marcus, sure. you're going to be on the Outdoor Channel tonight at 8 o'clock Eastern right. Central Time yeah. talking about turkeys. I wish you would get that friendly app so you can watch what? the show. Yeah, I have been. I, I, I don't get to watch them when they air, but my in-laws record all of them. So when I visit with them, we, we watch them together. Yeah, so I do cool. see them. I just I don't see it in real time usually. Just, just to make Marcus homesick, when I get up from this table – I am headed to pick up my wife, and I'm headed to Sumter County. There you go. Wow. Oh, man. And yep. look. I wish I was with you. God's country. <laughs> hey, Will. Oh, yeah. We would like to get you on a television show. This uh, So keep us in mind for any projects. The the coyote eat, eating the, the turtle eggs was – that was a great one, but it hadn't worked out just yet. But yeah, keep, keep yeah. us in mind on some other stuff. Yeah, we've got some cool stuff coming up that I think you guys are going to be interested in. Awesome. I yeah, think yeah. we need to send someone to film on turkey hunting together because I bet that's like the Keystone Cops. 
<laughs> who's calling for who and who's got the gun? Yeah. We we actually went to this year together and, and uh, neither well, I guess both of us had the gun and, and uh, <laughs> uh, we had somebody else calling for yeah. the most part. Although uh Will did tickle the, the subsequent gobbler that we took home. Yeah, I did I had to do fancy. a little sweet talking there at the end. I want yeah. to go with and Will to Texas. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> he sent some pictures of some Texas birds last year that were gorgeous. Yeah. Was that yeah. way south Texas, Will? It was. That was uh it was down there. I won't say the county. Nope. Hey, that's Good smart, man. That's I'm a turkey hunter right, right there. Turkey hunter right there. <laughs> I'm yes. learning. I'm learning, yeah. but it was it was way down there. He pretends to be this great, you know, professor yeah. biologist, but he's a true turkey yeah. hunter when you won't divulge the location. It's there over go. there. There you go. That right. was a test. <laughs> but yeah, Marcus and I, Marcus and I have a couple uh, planned potentially for this spring. I, I think we're awesome. certainly going to hit up Oklahoma, and we may be hitting up uh, Nebraska as well. But we'll see. Yeah, that's okay. a different world. Hopefully, out Rio there. and a Miriam. That'd be great. Don't go to Nebraska looking for a tree. Is all I tell you. It is like the moon. <laughs> yeah. But they're there. All right, Absolutely. guys. We'll let y'all go. We sure appreciate y'all making yourselves available. This has been a good one. It's very interesting. If a guy was paying attention, he could learn something through all this for sure. I, I did. I learned. I did too. I yep. did too. Absolutely. Yep. All right, Will. Dr. Appreciate Will Goolsby, uh, you've got – you're on Instagram. Guys can follow you. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your title handle there on Instagram? It's at Dr. Will Goolsby and doctor's abbreviated DR. Ooh. And then uh, – Dr. Marcus Lashley over here. Dr. Disturbance. And yeah. remember, he got that in high school going to the Brass Monkey in Livingston. <laughs> <laughs> he was a bouncer breaking up fights. They call him Dr. Disturbance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, I bet everybody's already following them. But y'all have been, y'all have been yeah. really – you've been a lot of fun giving us some good information. We appreciate y'all being with us. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. enjoyed it, guys. Appreciate it, guys. Yes, Thank, you guys. Thank you all. Thank you all. Thanks for what you're doing. Yeah. Yes. Lanny, what, what did you learn? Oh, just, you know, all kind of stuff. Um, it's just interesting to think um, I'm a lot like them. I was like, there's no way fertilization can help these plants. Um, but it just seems like a different practice, like releasing them, obviously, yes. uh, is the best route for it. And not only that, you know, we, we're continuing to learn about uh, the benefits of sunlight hitting the ground uh, for mm-hmm. our beloved turkey species and everything else. So, I'm with Dudley. I'm ready to get out and start girdling some trees instead of, you know, pushing fertilizer in the ground. Yeah, I mean, you do both. But yeah. I've heard too many smart people, a lot smarter than me, say the same thing as Marcus yeah. did today. And so you got to. Well, and then these timber stands, too. To yep. you, you, the big oak trees always surrounded by little ones. I mean, you usually climb up in one of your climbers, but I mean, we probably need to be girdling and Well, Marcus and spraying them. alluded to greater research down the road. Dudley and I look at each other. It's like there's so much more going on. Than we're even measuring. Yeah, than yeah. we really know with That's trees. That's what I'm excited about. Yeah. yeah. More it, studies. And yep. He talked about the mycorrhizomes. I didn't read so trees. It's like Avatar type stuff. Oh, there's yeah. so much going Just on like be- beneath the leaves that yeah. we don't know about. Right. You know. I would just encourage people to start planting trees, and, and it's just so addictive. I think it's good for your health and blood pressure well, and anxiety is, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a ha- it's a hobby, just like you know golf, tennis, bow hunting, or whatever. Indeed. Planting and tending to trees, it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and time. I mean, you know, everybody's oh, it takes a long time. Time time goes fast. I mean, the ones we've planted, you hey, know. The- I don't live life with many regrets, and one of my few is I didn't plant more trees right. when I was younger. 
don't wait because you'll get to enjoy them. It yep. doesn't take long. It really just, doesn't take that yeah, long. Yeah, it's so rewarding to watch what happens. Mm-hmm. Lanny, do you pronounce it acorn or acorn? I say acorn. Acorn. Yeah. What He's about kind you, of in between. I think I say acorn. Yeah. I think I say both, depending on who I'm around. Yeah. Acorn. I noticed those guys said mast a lot. They didn't say acorn <clears throat> much. And mast is just fruit from a tree, right? That's a collective yeah, that's term. Everything you know, that's everything. Mm-hmm. Peaches and mm-hmm. pecans. So yeah. I, I I just remember looking at Mac and reminded me, yeah, I figured out what Mac's superpower is this week. Which one? He's got a bunch of them. Every week he walks into my office and says, I just picked up a thousand acres. Got got the hunting rights from thousand. Somebody calls and he's, he's selling them seed, there. and next thing you know, he's got hey, the hunting rights. Yeah, for the same problem. reason he's great at selling, he just wears them down. Unbelievable. <laughs> just, just take it. it. Just Bobby, take my land. That's right. Bobby has a history of attracting these people that you can't say no to. Mm-hmm. I don't know. How many acres do you now have access to? Oh, not not enough. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Hey, you can never have too many. That's one thing Bobby No, That's right. Never. That's right. No, I'm just, he's good at it. Congratulations, so. Bobby's envious. Yeah, I am. I sure am. Acre, right. Bobby has acre envy. Acre envy. I know this won't That's air right. till November, right? Probably. Next but week. Yeah. it is October, so one more selfless plug for the That could be a nursery. T-shirt. Yeah, could you, we, we're having an October promotion, promotion next year. Promotion. 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 Richie. But seriously, we got a fine crop out there, So, and it's, you know, these, I mean, uh, it's time to plant in the south. You know, we got a, a great crop, you know, for 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 um, the north too. So, uh, just go check out nativenurseries.com. It's, they do. I'm telling you, I'm so proud. They do the best job mm-hmm. and have the best trees. There's no doubt. They do absolutely yeah. no doubt. Yep. I agree with you 100. percent Richie, heroes. You got anything to add, Richie? Richie, yeah. Go Cavs. <laughs> y'all check out the camo tractor. Y'all watch the television yeah, show on I Tuesday in the warehouse. I just saw it. Yeah, it's, awesome. it's a stud muffin. It's beautiful. We're gonna plant some with it here this week, it even though it's not no rain on the forecast. Richie, we cannot plant. dent that tractor. No, do not, Richie. No. do not take got, this got, to your house. I got dibs. You do not have dibs on this with you. No, 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 Richie. No, no. All right, guys. Won't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.